Hey, hey, hey. What's the fuss and tell me what's a happening? This is Pyromaniac Mo coming at you with another fantasy football talk. And on the other end of the horn, I've got Sigmund Bloom. He can be found on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. That's S I G M U N D B L O M. Of course, Sig is the co-owner of FootballGuys.com. He's a regular voice on the Audible podcast, which of course includes shows like the Audible Live and the introspective, metacognitive football show on the couch. And in fact, this is our second fantasy football talk. And I, you know, Sig, I can't thank you enough. You've been more than generous and gracious to me. And uh, how are you this evening, sir? Oh, it's my pleasure, uh, and it, I love it. I mean, I love the people in our industry, uh, and it makes me feel important when people ask my opinion on things, so thank you, uh, and I'm glad it could be helpful. It, things are great. You know, I'm doing our, our staff draft right now as we speak, uh, picking at the turn, so I won't be too distracted. I do have a couple of picks coming up. I'll try to fill people in as I come up on picks. Uh, this is that exciting time. Like, it's time to hand your test in. It's time to look at your answers one last time, make sure you don't want to change any of them. And then in week one, we start grading our papers. Uh, so it, it's a blast. We've built up to this for months, weeks, days, depending on how intense you are about fantasy football. Uh, and, and now it's time to, to put it down in ink and make it count. Yeah, grading papers, something I'm all too familiar with. But certainly, mm-hmm. uh, let, us, let us know when you've got a pick coming up. Uh, you're not on yeah. the clock, as it were, so you're, you're not limited by time. But uh, I'm certain our fans would be interested into knowing what's going on at the Football Guys draft. Uh, and, you know, I just wanted to say, folks, you know, when I reach out to people and I do these fantasy football talks, you know, a lot of times I don't get a response, which is fine. People are uber busy in this business. But I would just like to say, you know, Sigmund has been fantastic to me. He was the the second interview I did, uh, responded right away. Even when I've had questions along the way, you know, techie kind of things, he's been right there for me to uh, give a brother a leg up. I, I really do appreciate it uh, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for uh, for uh, generating good karma, sir. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll you asked me about this before we went on, so I'll just go ahead and, and cut right to this and maybe steal some of your thunder. But I, on my show this week, called out uh, C.O. Bracado. Yes. And and uh, folks listening who don't know that name, C.O. Bracado, uh, he's a, truly – we've used the word legend a lot. You know, He is truly a legend in the NFL. He invented things like the three-cone drill, uh, which he – the whole idea of how to scout football players uh, in a lot of ways came from this man, C.O. Bracado. And whenever we started doing – a draft show in 2008, and we went on the road to all the college all-star games. There was this one scout who was really old, but clearly you could tell by the way everyone treated him and just the aura around him that he was highly, highly respected. Um, and I think it was because, like him, we were always there really early uh, for the practices that he, he noticed us, and we got to know him uh, and you know learn about him. And we asked him to do We never thought he'd say yes, but we asked him to do an interview, and he said yes. Uh we were blown away. And for me, it was very early in my career doing this. And it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, this, you know, this man who's, he should be in the NFL hall of fame, put CEO Bracado in the hall of fame, uh, said yes to us. And he was just very kind. And he taught a lot by his actions. Uh, uh, Again, he's always there first. He always had clarity. You know, there was no in-between takes on players from CEO Bracado. Uh, He was kind to everybody. And And he was all about the work. Uh, that's what he w- really loved was was doing the work. Uh, he passed away this week, uh, and it brought a lot of those things back. But 
uh, apropos of what you brought up, uh, be nice to people. Say yes. Help people. First of all, they're giving you the opportunity to let grace and, and higher uh, instincts flow through you. But someone helped you, I'm sure, and some, somebody's going to help you again. Like we, no man is an island, and so on. Uh, and I, I think Seal Bracado and the influence he has had and will continue to have as long as there is a game called football. Uh, will reverberate, and, and by saying yes and helping people, that's the best way to spread our influence and, and help our lives last. Yeah, I was going to bring up the uh, the, the CO Bricado, um and the fact that you know I'm trying to keep that good energy going. He gave you a leg up. He helped you out at one point. Uh, I was honestly just contacted today on Twitter. I, I'm on Twitter at Pyromaniac Mo, just as it sounds, all letters. Um, a guy reached out to me, he said, you know, he, he likes the show, but he also is trying to get into the business, and he had some questions, and in the same spirit that Sio Bricado uh, gave you the leg up, and that same idea that you gave me one, uh, I said, well, you know, send me your email, and I'll send you everything I can to help you out, and, you know, this is what I know, and uh, I believe in uh, passing it along, and, and, you know, I don't know, paying it forward, keeping the good karma going. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe in, as we were talking off air, the force, right, in the, the, the energy field that surrounds us all and to be kind as we leave our footprint for the short time we are here on Earth. Uh, in doing my back deep uh, uh, underground detective work worthy of a Humphrey Bogart movie when I was checking up on you, uh, I found something I did like before we get into some football here that you uh, mentioned Kurt Vonnegut is one of your favorite authors. Uh, is my detective work correct? Yes, Vonnegut was very uh, influential. Uh, as a college student, I wrote a paper on Cat's Cradle, devoured every one of his books. Uh, a, a real humanist, uh, but also still very realist take on people, on the world. And, and there's a lot of things from his books I refer to. He just gives you ways to have a handle on ideas that you know you encounter, but he puts them into words in a way that it, it's easy to convey and, and, and share. And, and, and I go back to the one, actually his brother was the one who said, um, we're all here to help each other through this thing, whatever it is. And I like that because there's a resignation, like I don't understand it, I don't know, but I know I'm here to help you and you're here to help me. So, And we're here to help everybody win some fantasy football championships, too. Beautiful. And that's where we're going. And uh, I, I will just end with the Slaughterhouse 5 mantra, and so it goes, and so it goes. Yeah. So, bringing us right into the fantasy football world. You know, before, in case anybody is unfamiliar, although I doubt they are, um, what's new in the world of the football guys? What uh, have you guys have you guys been doing as of late? Anything you want to talk about? Articles? What's yeah. happening over there? Well, the DFS is blowing up just like it is everywhere else in the fantasy world. Uh, if you are part of our Insider Pro subscription base, you get cracking FanDuel and cracking DraftKings, especially if you're new or if you've been doing DFS. Either way, we've got a lot in those books, over 150 pages. Uh, there's some of the knowledge of our staff on DFS. And we also have a new app coming out, the Daily Crusher. The app's going to be free. Uh, and I think there'll be a, a charge for each week's data, although I think some of the weeks will be free. It's, I feel sorry for anybody trying to make a daily app, honestly. And I have nothing to do with our apps except you know promotion and supporting them and things like that. Um, I'm not a pro, I'm not a programmer anymore. I used to be a systems analyst, but I, I I like fantasy football better. Anyway, the point is the Daily Crusher. Uh, if you're a DFS player, 
you need to know about this. It's going to change the way people play DFS. Uh, so, of course, we're still standing by with all of our great season-long content and Audible and everything else that people have come to grow and love about footballguys.com because we are as obsessed as everyone else. I mean, we're as obsessed as, as y'all out there. That's the whole thing. We're all the same. We're all on the same level with this. We're just sharing an experience. Yeah, and with that shared experience, this is something I ask all my guests on uh, Fantasy Football Talks. And by the way, you know, one of my favorite shows, of course, is your On the Couch. And I was talking to D-Rex, who is uh, one of my pyro brethren, a while ago. And I was telling a story that uh, at uh, a get-together with some of my high school friends who, you know, aren't fantasy football players at all. But uh, I was bragging nonetheless, and I said, yeah, I actually got Sigmund Bloom on my couch. Yeah. It didn't really, it didn't really roll off the tongue like I wanted. Uh, nary a high five was given, but uh, it, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on this end. Anyway, um, one thing we do ask people is to pull back the curtain, as it were. Sure. Uh, so can you give, you know, Pat Thorman, for example, was talking about using Vegas numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, we've got Minnesota, the 49ers. This is one of the lowest over-unders at 42. I think it's the second lowest over-under at 42. So if you're looking to stream a defense. And he was talking about you know using Vegas numbers, uh, certainly for streaming or for daily fantasy. Uh, is there something, a data point, a unique stat, maybe it's a, a website uh, that you go to often that you'd like to share with us? I, I wish I had a rabbit to pull out of a hat for you, but I really don't. I'll give you the website, Twitter, honestly. Yeah, my, you know what my secret sauce is that I I like to think I can tell who knows football out there, and I listen to them, and I listen to myself too. But uh, I I think that's the main thing is participating in this endless conversation, the infinitely long sports bar that Twitter is, and getting to know the beat writers, getting to know fantasy experts, getting to know. Uh, people that are excellent at scouting players and understanding what prospects offer that are coming up from college and just integrating all that and weaving together a tapestry, a a great crazy quilt of knowledge uh, and being open to being swayed by things. And and then the other one is just watching football. Honestly, it's just watching football and letting the game teach you, letting the game speak to you. Um, I don't think there is a Rosetta Stone in football. I don't think there is a code to crack. I think the game is essentially unknowable. I call it the oblong ball factor. The the oblong ball represents it the best. They don't play football with a round ball. Weird things happen in football games. You also have 11 points of of interaction, unlike other sports. So it's always going to be unknowable. It's a very emotional game. It's a game, it's a very human game. Uh, And it's also a very cerebral game. You can get into the X's and O's, and sometimes that can give teams advantages that we didn't foresee. So week to week, uh, I, I think we're still going to – it's going to be like riding a mechanical bull. And, you know, you hang on for six, seven, eight seconds. You're, you're pretty happy with yourself, and you dust yourself off and, and get back up and get after it again. But I, I don't have – and here's the thing. We can look at any player as an intersection of a lot of different factors, and we could even classify those factors and and, and give them names. And for one player, you know, the talent factor is going to be operative. For another player, the situation factor is going to be operative. Uh, for another player, just injury luck will be operative. And we'll look back at the end of the year and see all of that. But it, right now we're looking at it and we're trying to, to gauge that. And I think while we all 
pick a position and commit to it, it's also important to consider all the other ones because then when you're wrong and the season starts and it's going like one of the other ways that you dismissed but you you thought about it, it's easy to adjust. Where we get messed up is whenever you think reality's broken and your brain is right and you keep throwing good money after bad because you're just not seeing what the game is trying to tell you. I never think my brain is 100% right, but uh, to <laughs> To back you up on the the Twitter and the watching of football, you know, DirecTV, obviously, you got uh, the Sundays where you get the the Red Zone channel, which I love. But even later during the week, I'm not even sure what they call it, but it's the replay where you can basically watch a game in an hour. Uh, so it, it's cutting out a lot. Now, a lot of times i got to you know do a rewind because sometimes you're missing the commentary. You know, who is that right there? But for watching some offensive lines, you know, I love watching those fast replays to get my eyes on some of the plays that I may have missed that week. So you know, direct TV, I think that is fantastic, the replay during yeah. the week. And as you said, Twitter, he's Sigmund Bloom, just as it sounds. I'm Pyromaniac, just as it sounds. But I had a draft on Monday. And I drafted uh, Kelsey uh, for my tight end. Actually, yeah. got him. In the, uh, I believe I got him in the sixth round. So I'm going in the fifth. Woo. I believe got him in the sixth. So I like that 12 man draft. But of course, that was the day that the news came out, and it was we were drafting as the news was basically breaking. And I'm saying uh, hail Mary. And first, first place I checked was Twitter, and uh, I you know knocking on wood. I believe that I am okay with just an ankle roll, but yeah. certainly Twitter Twitter is the first place I went. Now, in my most recent fantasy football talk with Matt Harrison, so I I don't want to go into this too deeply, but we dove into a lot of the rash of injuries that has happened that has been plaguing the NFL, and and it has been just uh, Terrapin Station, which I call uh, some rise, some fall, some climb to get to Terrapin, and it's been having Terrapin Station with the ADP. We've been having all these risers and fallers due to the rash of injuries. So we don't have to go into them all, but in your opinion, what's the most impactful injury out there and who benefits? I think that Jordy Nelson's injury, it's a low-hanging fruit to say that, but look, it pushes Aaron Rodgers closer to the quarterback three than quarterback one. It pushes Devontae Adams way up the board. Fourth round, you got to take him. It puts Ty Montgomery and Jeff Janis on the board where they weren't before. Uh, it puts Richard Rodgers on the board where he wasn't before. Uh, it sets a lot of things in motion. Uh, it maybe even ticks Eddie Lacy up a spot. Uh, on your on your board in the top five or top seven, top eight, because they're going to be playing more games that are Eddie Lacy kind of games, not games where they're going to be putting up 45 points. So uh, it changes the complexion of the offense. You can't take a player like Jordy Nelson away from an offense. And I think the Kelvin Benjamin one applies. But with Kelvin Benjamin, uh, it's much bleaker. You know, that's kind of like the one thing that created room for that offense to operate was Kelvin Benjamin and how much of a surprise, pleasant surprise he was. Devin Funchess is not Kelvin Benjamin. Everything in that offense, no. it's, it's going to compress in now. Uh, and guys like Newton, I don't even have Newton in my top 12 quarterbacks now. There's Jonathan Stewart, I'm not excited at all to draft until maybe the sixth round now. And even now Greg Olson is a, a tougher case because Greg Olson might catch 100 balls just because. Uh, but I am still worried that teams are going to say, well, let's take care of Olson, like they used to do with uh, Tony Gonzalez. You know, like jam him at the line, jam him at five, you know, just have guys just run into him and hit him and knock him off his route because you know that's all this team has. Uh, so I don't know if Greg Olson is as good as Tony Gonzalez to overcome that kind of treatment. Uh, but but those two injuries were massive. And I think on the other side, the Arian Foster injury might not be as big as people think. 
Uh, everything we've been hearing for weeks now is that he's on track to get back, not going to go on IR return, get back in the first month or so of the season. And he's a guy who knows his body well. So if he can get past that ramp up to game shape and get back to game shape and get back on the field, he'll be what we're used to, which is a running back one who misses every third or fourth game. But when he's on the field, he's the man. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's basically uh, uh, what we talked about, and it's exactly uh, what I agree with. You know, Funchess uh, ain't no KB. Um, with the Green Bay situation, I, I'm curious. Currently off FFC, the Fantasy Football ca- uh, Calculator, you got Jeff Janis. This is PPR. Uh, Jeff Janis going in the 14th, and they've got Ty Montgomery, the rookie, going in the 12th. Would you agree with that? Would you take Would you take Montgomery before Janis? I would if I was going to take either of them, but they're not high-priority guys for me. I mean, Javante Adams had the number three role all to himself and was not right, fantasy relevant right. last year. So these two guys who are being pressed into action, and I do think if you're going to take one, it's Montgomery because Janice is just too inconsistent. They don't trust him. I do think Janice might catch some of those long bombs and get some of those uh, deep routes off of play action that Nelson did so well with. But if there's going to be someone that contributes consistently, it would be Ty Montgomery. But I don't expect it to happen. I, I expect this to be Cobb and Adams, and Lacey, and, and Rodgers. You know, that's the offense. That's the core of the offense. Uh, there are other t- wide receivers that I would target late uh, because I think that if you take someone like Ty Montgomery or Jeff Janis, you're going to be waiting around a lot. This year I've really been stressing this. Waiver wire flexibility early in the season is crucial because those are the pickups that not only are whenever everyone's still scrambling and not sure what's going on, but those are also the pickups that you keep for the whole season. You get, you know, you pick up somebody in week two, week three, week four, you get a much bigger benefit to your season than someone you pick up in week 10. So I, I think that if you take a lot of players late in your draft that you're going to feel like you want to wait on and see what happens with them, you're going to miss the train. I've been stressing guys with early reveals, like uh, Jonas Gray is a perfect example. Uh, that You're going to see, right, you have him in the first game, he's going to start against the Steelers. You're either going to have a hit or you're going to move on for somebody in the week two waiver wire run, which is often the most important of the year. And uh, I, the last one you mentioned was uh, certainly the Carolina. I think uh, you, the tight end situation there, he's the one that benefits. He, uh, he was one of the, I just tweeted this out, but he was one of two tight ends that had over 30% of the red zone work. I think Olsen's going to certainly benefit that, uh, that situation. Now, week four of the preseason, not a lot generally happens. Uh, we're talking a lot of times, you know, clarity as for backups mm-hmm. or, or guys fighting for uh, even practice squad positions. But is there anything that you're looking for in uh, the, the last preseason game? Any any one little last peek at anything that's going to give you right. a little bit of insight? Not so much in the game action. I do think it's an important thing to point out that while we in the fantasy business and even in in football media in general say, ah, fourth preseason, who cares? You know, what these games aren't important. These games don't matter. But for the players playing, oh, they matter. These guys are playing for their life. I mean, they're playing to make a team. They're playing to the difference, not just in salary, but just the trajectory of your career. Uh, if you make a team or if you get cut. And then you mentioned practice squads. And not just practice squads, but speaking of players getting cut, you know, we look at Dallas. We look at Cleveland, we look at Atlanta, we look at these running games and we think, is this really the best they can do? Is this all that, you know, these players that show out and maybe a player that tries to get slipped through to the practice squad, you know, Gus Johnson in Dallas, uh, or Thomas Rawls in Seattle, uh, Malcolm Brown in St. Louis. A lot of these running backs who there might not be room for, 
they're continuing to show out, and this fourth preseason game is where they're going to get the biggest stage yet uh, for some of these teams that might be looking at these running backs. So that second wave, there's going to be the first wave of cuts to 53 on Saturday, but that second wave of some players getting cut and then teams saying, oh, I didn't know he was going to be out there. Yoink. Uh, and, and I think in specifically for fantasy football, running back in these unsettled situations could get even more unsettled. Well, let's talk about one of those unsettled situations down in Atlanta. Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman, or even uh, Anton Smith um, been injured, haven't really seen much of these guys. Uh, in the long run, who's your horse in that race? None of them, none of the above, honestly. Uh, I think right now the problem is that you can't really say uh, that this offensive line is going to be good enough to make it happen for this team. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things we have to remember is that Kyle Shanahan had a tremendous offensive line to work with in Cleveland, almost the equal of Dallas, honestly, and before they lost Alex Mack. I cite this stat, stat right. a lot. Eight, eight rushing touchdowns for running backs in the first five weeks. Alex Mack goes down in week five, eight rushing touchdowns for the running backs in the next 11 weeks. So let's see what happens in Cleveland, but also let's not expect that Atlanta is going to be a plug-and-play running game. I think it will be Devontae Freeman more to open the season, and they want uh, Tevin Coleman to prove he can do more, but he's not a great fit uh, for the outside zone stretch-type plays. He's more like Darren McFadden, like pick a hole and hit it hard. So... I just don't know how it's going to work out. I don't think any one of these guys is going to emerge and seize the backfield. I don't think it's going to be a value, very valuable backfield anyway, honestly, because they aren't going to be able to establish the run with this offensive line. And Matt Ryan's going to have trouble, too. Julio Jones, I'll take shelter there because he's just Julio Jones. He's going to catch, he might catch 150 passes this year, really, because what else do they have going on in this one? But I think when it comes to the time to pick an Atlanta running back, I took, in the draft we're doing right now, I did take... Um, uh, Tevin Coleman at the 11-12 turn, okay? I will take him there. I will take him like 100, 120, 130 picks into a draft, but he's not a priority pick. I did hear, I will say this, I'll share this with, with, with your listeners and with you. Uh, I did an event with Adam Schefter over the weekend, uh, and he said that he talks to the trainer who trained Le'Veon Bell and told him last year, watch out, Le'Veon Bell is an entirely new player. So the next question is, well, who else this year could be a new player? The names uh, were Tevin Coleman, Oh, Bell again. The first name was Bell again. He's going to be even better this year. Levian Bell. Yes. Coleman, Tevin Coleman, Lamar Miller, Jarvis Landry, and John Brown. And Landry and Brown are guys I'm trying to get in every single draft. Yeah, I love me some John Brown. I've got him rated as the highest Arizona wide receiver. Uh, I love what they're doing in Miami. The Blazer offense basically mimicking uh, Chip Kelly, and Lamar can certainly do that. Interesting you say Coleman, and you got him You got him late. He's I'm not a fan, yeah, but I mean, I'll Well, he's, I'll he's currently going at the end, end of the eighth round. He's going before right. Devonta Freeman. Freeman's going at the, in the ninth round. Both of them have taken a fall in the last month, but he, he's currently going at the end of the eighth round. So if you got him in the twelfth, I mean, personally, I think he's the horse that's going to win the race in Atlanta. Right. I don't know if it's going to be that great of a race, but I think he's the one that's going to do it. 
I'll add to that this was a, a draft where you can start. Uh, there's two flexes, and you can start up to five wide receivers. And I actually took five of my first eight picks for wide receivers. I also took Kelsey. I took Kelsey at the three four turn. This is a staff draft where you have to get your guys. You can't rely on ADP to get players. You have to just go get your guys. Um, I also took Breeze and Kelsey, and I only had one running back through the first eight rounds. It was Mark Ingram. So so nine ten eleven twelve. I'm throwing darts. I'm taking Duke Johnson. I'm taking. Uh, Tevin Coleman, I'm taking Ryan Matthews. You know, I'm just throwing darts. I just need one to hit. So just to back up quick, the guys that you said the trainer um, mentioned, Le'Veon Bell once again, but Coleman, Lamar Miller, Jarvis Landry, and John Brown. guys yeah. to, uh, And Landry and Brown, I want to say this. Landry and Brown are, are players that I've been hearing a constant, constant drumbeat about. Uh, as quality, quality players this year. Like one of the things, this goes back to what I was saying about that scramble in the first few weeks. Um, players are going to show up different than the last time we saw them. You know, remember when we were all like in middle school, when everyone was still around puberty, and you go home for the summer, and you'd come back and you see your friends, and you're like, what happened to you this summer? Whoa, you're, you know, you got facial hair now, or other things that happen when, you know. And that's kind of how it is with these young players in their second, third year. Sometimes they come back and you say, it doesn't take long. Again, believe what your eyes tell you in those first few weeks. And John Brown and Jarvis Landry are players that you might think are limited because within John Brown's case, he was kind of thin or, or you know, not very consequential, put on 10 pounds of muscle. And just he and Palmer, Palmer just needs to stay healthy. And John Brown's going to be massive this year. Uh, and Jarvis Landry, people think of as not, as not a great athlete, but I think he was hurt for his measurables, his combine times, and he's the the incumbent player in the Miami pass offense. He's the one guy that is coming back from last year's loss. Richard Matthews is too, but come on. Um, he and Tannehill have that chemistry, and if there's one thing we underestimate too often in fantasy football, it is quarterback-wide receiver chemistry. Uh, and I see chemistry there like the kind of chemistry – that Anquan Bolden or Heinz Ward created uh, for their quarterbacks. Like, just trust me. I'll be. I'll get to that spot and I'll catch that ball. Don't you worry. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be there for you. And that's what Landry is for Tannehill. And I think that's what what Brown is for Palmer as yeah, well. Deep though, but like 50 yards downfield. <laughs> right. Right. Um, certainly some d- difference in average depth of target between those two receivers and two quarterbacks. Uh, speaking of middle school, though, I remember a little bit of uh, you down with uh, OPP. Yeah, you know in me. My, yeah. In, in my draft, I was down with ODB. I got him in the second yeah. round. I, w- I wasn't sure he was going to be there. I picked him up second round. But uh, nice. uh, I, I had a good draft. I had a good draft. C.J. Anderson. Uh, I got Roethlisberger in the seventh, Nice. which for non-industry people, I thought that was pretty good. I got Gore. Uh, Joseph Randall, ODB, Tate, Kelsey, and then uh, Bench, I believe I've got Vincent Jackson, um, Charles Johnson, Arian Foster, Woodhead, and Cap, oh, Cameron Artis Payne. I love yeah, Woodhead. I'm, Woodhead's going to be the most valuable. Woodhead will be the most valuable PPR running back in San Diego this year. And this was a half-point PPR. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that split the difference. Woodhead should, is roughly the same value as Gordon. Um, and Stevie Johnson, too. Stevie Johnson's going to catch 80, 85, 90 passes this year. He, he and Rivers were made for each other. I know Everyone's on the, the Darius Green thing with the first four uh, weeks, and I think Stevie Johnson is going to be the biggest beneficiary yeah. oh, of yeah. that situation. He's still now, a really good me, wide receiver. Go ahead. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think he's got uh, some life left in him uh, now that he's in San Diego, especially with the opportunity that presents itself with you know whatever Gates did uh, to cause the four-game suspension. Um, speaking of, you know, I, I mentioned Anton Smith not too long ago. He was the darling of last year's preseason. In fact, if you totaled up the uh, points per touch, not the preseason, but last year, points per touch. I mean, if you remember, folks, this guy was busting off every couple of times he touched the ball. He'd bust off a long touchdown. Points per touch, he averaged 1.8 on the season. Just for a comparison point, folks, Le'Veon Bell was 0.77, and that's outstanding, 0.77. Anton yeah. Smith, one point freaking eight. Le'Veon Bell, as, as a benchmark, was you know 0.77. So that brings to mind a guy this year. So far in the preseason, he's averaging 1.1 per touch. I mean, it's unheard of to go over one. So he's averaging 1.1 per touch. That man's name, I'm a Motown boy, Zach, Zach Zenner. Zenner. Yeah, don't shh. I'm, I'm my 15, 16 turn, they're eight, they're eight picks away, and I don't want them to take Zenner for me. I had to choose between Zach Zenner and Carlos Williams. I'm not a LaShawn McCoy believer at all. The last turn I took, I took uh, Carlos Williams hoping Zenner would fall. So shh, don't say that too loud. We we I, w I won't release this until uh, that your draft is finished. They're going to pick up on our vibes now, though. They can see the football guy staff has. I shouldn't talk about our secret projects anyway. That's some that's some pretty good uh, force usage. Right, the key to winning your up, draft is mental telepathy. There. If if you once you master mental telepathy, fantasy football drafts are just you know shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, I think if you master mental telepathy, you pretty much just retire in Hawaii and, and call it good. You know, yeah, yeah. checkbox life one. Um, but going back to Zach Zenner. So, folks, I mean, I'm Motown. I'm uh, in Michigan. So I, I've seen this kid. If you haven't seen him in the preseason, I mean, box scores don't do it justice because he passes the eye test. But in the preseason, he's got 222 total yards, uh, two touchdowns, one receiving, one rushing. He's got six receptions. Uh, I didn't even do his fantasy uh, points with a PPR. It was 1.1 fantasy points per touch. That's non-PPR. Um, and just three three preseason games. This kid has 25 rushing attempts, and he's averaging 6.5 yards per carry. Double A, Amir Abdullah, he's got about half. He has 12 attempts, and he's averaging 6.8. So Zach Zenner's a real deal. PFF, Pro Football Focus, attributes him with just 73 snaps so far, and they've got him rated as tied for fourth best running back. Now, what size league? Are you going to take him in a 12-team league? Yeah. Well, we're doing a 12-team league right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, I understand that like, you don't necessarily have to draft him. He's probably going to get dra not get drafted in a lot of drafts. But right. he is a... He is a prime candidate to be that player we spend 50-75% of our waiver wire bucks on in week two. And first of all, you, you brought the biggest piece of the puzzle to the table right there. We know he can play. I know it's preseason, but with rookies, that's our first look. He can play, okay? He went in trying to win a roster spot. That's not a question anymore. Uh, the second part is, okay, how likely is he, is, is he to get on the field? And look. I know Joyke Bell says he's going to play. I know the Lions are saying Joyke Bell is going to be the number one running back. Look at the facts. 
He had minor procedures in January on his Achilles and knee. First of all, any sports medicine person will tell you there's no such thing as a minor. There's a like a, a few things on an Achilles, like maybe like little calcium deposits rubbing against it and things like that, like when there's just tiny little micro tears in it. But for the most part, any sort of procedure on the Achilles is not minor. And then there's the knee. Now, could it have been a meniscus cleanup? Could it have been even microfracture? I don't know. Yeah. But if you aren't practicing... Seven months later, in August, right. it, it was a minor, all right? Drake Bell's 30. Um, he hasn't, he just got cleared to practice. He just got cleared uh, to practice. Like today, basically. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Drake Bell could, so Drake Bell could come out in week one and look like Drake Bell. And we'll all say, well, you know, all of you who took Drake Bell in the 8th, ninth, 10th round, Congratulations, you got a value. If you took Zach Center, just cut him. But but keep his number on file because Drake Bell could break down. I mean, we already know he's coming into the season just getting into football shape to start the season. But there's so many other possibilities. He could, A, he could be inactive. He might not play, you know. He, he really, I mean, they might just say he's not, he's not going to play week one. He's not ready yet. They, he might go out and get injured right away. He might aggravate something or have a compensation injury because, again, he hasn't practiced for the entire offseason. He could go out and just look done, you know. And that one, Detroit might be loyal and stick with him a little bit and keep Zenner from really taking off. But That's my fear. That's my fear. Sure. They're going to be a, a, a little too loyal. But we have not... to at least see Bell play before we write Zenner off right away because we know Zenner can play. So just take him and it's not the worst thing in the world if you cut someone after week 1. That could be the best thing that happened to you. But the point is after week 1 we're going to know where we stand with Zenner. And like you said, we might be standing with man, where's the rational coaching Zenner should be playing and he's not. But at least we'll know he's worth holding on to because we'll have watched Bell and say, "Uh, that's not getting it right. done." And rational coaching coaching doesn't always equate no. fantasy football coaching, right? That can be some two totally different things that we're talking about. And last year, I was advocating – Bush was going higher in most ADPs, and I was advocating Bell very early on. I, that was one of my early preseason predictions that Bell was going to be a bigger uh, fantasy producer than Reggie Bush. He sure was. Everybody loved him. But look where you took him last year. You're, it's, it's different this year and – a great stat that uh, Jake David Allen and the boys over at uh, Sports Injury Predictor. It's a little, it's a little uh, funky. It's sixty-six percent of players that get injured or who don't perform in the preseason uh, also get another injury or re-injure in yeah. the regular season. Once that moves up to first or second string, that number jumps up to seventy-seven percent. So Drake Bell falls into that category. Seventy-seven percent chance of him either getting yeah. the same injury or getting injured again. And that's nope. why I I don't think AA, I don't think Amir Abdullah is built to, for the long haul and that's why Zenner, you know, if you're in a 16 team draft or I'm sorry, a 16 roster, you want to have a spot like that that you might be able to drop that you can pick up somebody off the waiver wires in 16 even four, uh, 14 man roster, I could go with double Z. Yeah. Be my man. yeah, I I don't see what the loss is here because if Drake Bell goes out and looks good enough that we say, well, Zenner's the man in waiting for a year in dynasty leagues. Get Zenner, please get him. 
but in redraft leagues, he, he could be big. And this Detroit right. offense has has supported two fantasy running backs in the top 25 uh, you know, for a while now. We can go back to Reggie Bush was a running back one, and Joy Bell was a, a solid running back two in 2013. Different coordinator, Scott Linehan, but we know with Joe Lombardi coming from New Orleans, they've also perennially made you know, Sproles and Thomas, right. Thomas and right. Ingram. Uh, so there's room for two Detroit running backs to be every week starters in PPR leagues. And one of the better offensive lines I can remember in uh, Finally. recent history. Yeah, that's a low you're, bar for Detroit, to be fair. You're, you're telling me. You're telling me. Between Lake and Tomlinson and, and Zach Zenner, you, we could start like you know a, a, some sort of think tank or something. They're, they're getting a lot smarter, too. They, they are. They still have a bit of a tight end fetish. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. exactly what's going on there. They got Tim Wright. They they got five guys now. Lord only knows what they're planning to do with them. Drafted first pick last year and take Ebron, and then they're still trading for guys. Uh, so the think tank might not quite be full, but uh, at least the the little hamster is running faster than it used to. Yeah. Uh, moving on up to Buffalo. Recent news, and I haven't checked Twitter, but recent news is speculating that Matt Castle might be on his way out the door. Um, everybody's loving the, the double T, Tyrod Taylor. Uh, are you on the Tyrod Taylor train, the triple T? Yeah. And if so, does this boost Watkins? I don't think it boosts Watkins. I mean, look, Buffalo's passing game will produce some big games here and there from individuals. Good luck knowing when they're going to come. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is as functional a passer as Matt Castle, so I don't see any loss there. What's fascinating to me here is we see teams not commit to their running quarterbacks because you know, if it's Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, I see like, the money you have tied up in these guys, Colin Kaepernick, and so on. Uh, not truly commit. I mean, like college offense level commit. What do they have tied up in Tyrod Taylor? Who cares? They want to be a defense and running game team anyway. So I'm really fascinated with the idea of Tyrod Taylor maybe getting 120, 150 carries. And even in week one against Indy, who just lost Art Jones, one of their best run defenders, and we know that how are you going to beat Indy? Well, you want to keep Andrew Luck off the field. How do you keep Andrew Luck off the field? Long, grinded-out drives. So committing to the read option running game with Tyrod Taylor makes a lot of sense. And going into week one, we already know McCoy may or may not play. And I will say this, if you drafted LaShawn McCoy, I'm, I'm sorry, because I would have told you not to, uh, but also, you're not going to play him in week one. I mean, I don't care even if he's active. I would be scared of playing him in week one. Uh, who's going to be the running back to play? I mean, Booby Dixon or uh, perhaps um, Bryce Brown. Yeah, I mean, Car I like Carlos Williams. Car if there is going to be a hit behind McCoy in that backfield this year, it will be Carlos Williams. I don't know about week one. He had some weird surgery in some sensitive place. He's now back in the building uh, and starting to get back in football shape. Um, maybe it's Tyrod Taylor week one. Maybe it's Tyrod Taylor with a 100-yard gain. Uh, that's what fascinates me for DFS. Uh, if you're a quarterback streamer, like a 16-team league, and, and you, you're getting cute with it, and you're going to play with you know um, Marcus Mariota and Tyrod Taylor or something like that, I think Taylor could be really interesting because he fits in their team blueprint well. They're a team with a good enough defense to say, no, we're at, we really are going to run a college-style spread option offense. And then it gets exciting because you mentioned Watkins, and at the very least you can picture plays where, you know, Tyrod Taylor puts the ball in McCoy's belly, the defense bites either on him or McCoy, but then he pulls the ball back out, and instead of running it, he takes a step back and, and throws it deep for Watkins or Woods uh, or hits Charles Clay up the seam. 
uh, or hits, give, you know, Percy Harbin comes behind him on a jet sweep or something like that. You could do a lot of really fun and interesting things, uh, and the defense is going to keep games close enough to let them kind of get cute with it. We'll see what Greg Roman and, and Rex have up their sleeve. I do wonder what they were thinking letting Fred Jackson, and I, they, they do too because, you know, the team's already leaking. Like, it was the GM. We had nothing to do with it. So Fred Jackson would have fit very nicely too. Yeah, I had the question today. Uh, who, who do you like? And I went with out of Dixon, Brown, Williams, because chances are, like you say, McCoy might not be there week one. Um, who do you like? And I, I went with uh, Williams. I think he's got the highest upside yeah. out if of you're all draft those guys. One of them, Williams, yeah, sure. And Fred Jackson. Uh, I've heard some Seattle speculation. Yeah, and it's because he and Marshawn Lynch are tight, super tight. And it's more like Lynch bringing him in, basically. And he's a great third down back, a great pass blocker. That's going to save Lynch some punishment. I think Fred Jackson would like to have a chance to win a ring, wouldn't we all? Um, I, I think he would be an outstanding addition to a, a team culture a locker room that's already one of the best in the league. Uh, it just makes sense. And I know that for fantasy, we might want him to land in New England or Cleveland or Dallas or something like that. But right. Fred Jackson has given so much. He's one of the best stories in NFL history. Seriously, if you look at his story and how much he had to persevere just to get a chance to show what he could do and for how long he's been doing it now beyond when everybody thought he'd be able to. Uh, beautiful story. And uh, this is one of those players that when he was released in Ruffalo, you saw the outpouring of affection uh, for him in that yeah. city, even from that team. Uh, and it's all deserved. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not someone that's going to go down as a, the, one of the best running backs of his era. He's just somebody who got as much. He got more out of himself than anybody in this era has. That's his best of the era. He got as much out of himself as there possibly was for him to give. And Buffalo got a lot out of him. You got to love his attitude. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, when they got McCoy, he said something to the effect of, "Look, I, I'm not handing him the ball." Uh, chances are he might be taking those first string snaps, but I'm going to make him work for it. Uh, I'm going to challenge him. I'm going to run. I'm going to give 110%. You know, and, and that's the, man, that's the beautiful thing. That's the kind of guy you want yeah. to have on your team. Yeah. A guy that's going to, you know, want to say, hey, maybe I'm not going to start. I'm not going to be in the spotlight like I used to, but I'm going to do what I have to do to make this team better, whether that's push a guy who's ahead of me to excel, that's what I'll do. And you got to love that. Those, those, those guys are few and far between these days in the, the modern NFL. Hey, let's move over to the quarterback position. Um, you seem to be quite high on TB, Tom Brady. In fact, I believe you got him inside your top 10. Now, for a guy that's missing 20, well, at this date, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's missing 25% of the season. Um, how, how come. You're so high on him. Why are you keeping the faith in yeah. uh, Mr. Michigan? So first, uh, we'll talk a little bit about BBD. And, th and this analysis applies not only to um, Brady. It applies to Le'Veon Bell. It applies to uh, Julius Thomas. It applies to Antonio Gates. Now, the, the denominator is the reward. And I'm not sure what the reward is going to be necessarily with Gates. I know he was in the top five last year, but it's, it was like in three or four games that put him up Value-based draft. But VBD, VBD is based on this. The VBD is based on not ranking players by total points, okay? VBD is based on ranking players by the advantage they give you over the baseline player at the position. So for a running back one, it'd be the advantage over uh, running back 12. For Le'Veon right. Bell, for instance, just to give you an idea, 
or in a PPR leagues from week seven on. And I say week seven because that's when Martavis Bryant got on the field. And it was no uh, surprise that in week eight and week nine, the Steelers had six touchdown passes in each of those two weeks because Martavis Bryant opened everything up for the offense. Le'Veon Bell was about a 26 points per game player in uh, that 10-week span, week 7 to 16. And the next best running back was about 21 and a half. That's number two. Now, if you go down to number 12, this is the worst running back one for a team in your 12-team league, 14 points a game. So that's a 12-point-a-game edge over the lowest running back one. And then, you know, multiply that by um, 13, or in this case, multiply that by um, 10, because it's a bye week, not, not 13, 12. Um, so that gap, even if other players are getting two games to make that up on him, that gap is really hard to make up. And likewise, I think what has been overlooked about Brady is that from, now remember, the first four weeks last year, the Patriots, we were wondering about them. And then they came out of their shell. At that From that point on, Brady was a, the number three fantasy quarterback. So again, we're looking at year-long stats and forgetting that the team came out of the gate really slow. Uh, now, I'm a little concerned about Brandon LaFell. I, have, I would think that he's going to end up on the PUP, honestly. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about Julian Edelman, who's been injury-prone. Go back to your stat. And I think, by the way, that kind of approach, like, let's, let's just boil this down really simply. If a player has been hurt in the preseason, you better be really, really high on them to take them. Like, for instance, I'm still taking Duke Johnson in the ninth or 10th round because I think he's every bit the talent Amir Abdullah is, but we haven't quite seen him get to show that yet. And then I also love the Cleveland offensive line and Terrence West, uh, Isaiah Crowell haven't stepped up to seize that job. And they may bring in Ray Rice or somebody else. But I have a really good reason. I, I think there's a really great reward. Um, if you're taking a player that's been hurt in the preseason, there better be a really good reason. Edelman, we'll see. Um, so, you know, if Edelman and LaFell aren't there, that changes things a little bit. And then Amendola gets pushed push in the mix. And remember that name, Amendola, uh, for your drafts, because he's going to start the season as a starter while Brandon LaFell is struggling with whatever it is he's struggling with. Uh, so I think that Brady, the other factor here is, and this is touchy-feely kind of stuff, but the other 31 teams basically tried to go out for the Patriots' scalp this offseason with this deflategate stuff. And I think they're going to be out. I think the Patriots are going to be out to rub their face in it. I do. Uh, and we've seen them in 2007 have that same take-no-prisoners approach and put numbers in, in up to levels we never did not know was possible. We know this team will run up the score. We know that they will sweep the leg, you know? I, I think that's exactly what Tom Brady is going to be setting out to do, whether it's week one or week six as uh, the first week we see him. And I do think there's a high chance that Judge Berman – I do think there's a chance Judge Berman's going to say, the NFL is crazy, they've trumped up all these charges and made it up, but it's arbitration and it's out of my purview. So, hmm? but I think if he rules on the merits, there's no way this is a suspension that holds up for four games. It may not even hold up for one game. We're mixing some great film metaphors here. We got the, some Jedi force, right? Mind, mind tricks. These are not the droids you're looking for. Move right, along, right. move along. And then we've also got a little bit of uh, the Cobra Kai sweep the leg, right? And, Somewhere the truth shall be found in the middle path. Um, Flipping it to the other side, you've got Tom Brady, who you like, value-based drafting, and I can can see him, although, boy, I'm concerned about those four games. Um, To the other side, someone you're not as high on, uh, Joe Flacco. You've got roughly outside your top 22. He's he's over your top 20. Let's be safe and say that. 
Now, uh, do you feel that uh, Tressman's quarterback whispering is going to fall on deaf ears there? Is it the wide receivers? Uh, yeah. how, come down on, how come down on Flacco? It's a little bit of everything. Look, Tressman has said he's going to basically leave most of the offense intact, okay? Uh, when we've seen Flacco do well with the quarterback whisperer, if there is such a thing, um, or if he even is responsible for it, because we saw uh, Flacco with Jim Caldwell in the playoffs on the Super Bowl run. Just tremendous. But that was with you know Anquan Bolden and uh, uh, Torrey Smith. And Steve Smith looks ready to go, by the way. Take Steve Smith in your drafts. Take him in the 8th or ninth round. Woo, he looks ready. Yeah, talk talk about a Brady chip on his shoulder. Steve oh, Smith yeah. riding, off, riding off into the sunset is a, a big intangible factor I think he's got going for him. And, um, by the way, this year that player is Frank Gore, the player who's got the chip on his shoulder to show everybody, oh, oh, you messed up. Uh, so I, I would say that who else does he have to throw to? Crockett Gilmore, Darren Waller, who I'm interested in, the big rookie from Georgia Tech, you know, Kamar Aiken and, and Marlon Brown, Justin Forsett out of the backfield, of course, but going up against Denver in week one is just going to show us right away because Denver's with the Wade Phillips defense is going to be much fiercer, much more aggressive defense. Uh, you got to have some players who can make plays on the other end of those passes for it to work. You know, Tressman had Jeffrey and Marshall and Bennett and Forte. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I think that Flacco, now Flacco have some big games. Remember that game last year where he had five touchdown passes in their first quarter or something? There'll be some, yes. there'll be some games in there. You know, for best ball leagues, I'm not saying Flacco's not going to help your team. But in any given week, um, he's a by-injury emergency kind of quarterback. He's not your plan A at quarterback. He's not even really your plan B. I think he's somebody you would use to fill in if you didn't have anybody that you were really excited about playing. Flacco, I think, can surprise some people. I believe he had about five 300-yard games Last year, yeah, he only put up bagels twice as far as the touchdown goes. Now, right. we're going into uh, one of my guys, and I'm sure D-Rex, he's tired of me arguing this, but uh, I am uh, an outlier here, and I, I don't think you're going to back me up. I'm looking for some help here, but if you're down on Flacco, what do you think about Forsett? Personally, in PPR, right. I think he is RB number one all the way in PPR. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Forsett? Yeah, we talked about this on my show this week with uh, Jason Wood, also from Football Guys, where you look at Forsett on its face, and there's no reason for you to not take him in the second round. Or the way I put it was, if we just started watching football last year, and we didn't know anything about players' draft position or history, and we just watched them play and say, you know, that's a good player that's the kind of guy I want on my fantasy team behind that offensive line and that scheme. And again, Tressman said he's not going to mess with that. Uh, but we know more than that. We know that his, he had a, more of a journeyman track record before that. So it makes it hard for us to want to invest that very high pick. And that kind of thinking is not wrongheaded. I mean, if that kind of thinking kept you off of Joseph Randall for this entire preseason, that was good. If you're just saying, ah, it's the fourth round. I can take players I know are good. I know I can bet on this situation, but... No, I want to bet on the player, uh, but I think that Forsett has shown us in this, and in the offensive line is a big part of it. Um, he's shown, shown us that he's going to be good. Now, if he falls apart this year or, or just hits a wall, then there'll be a lot of people who will say, I told you so. But remember that Forsett in the playoffs, that was some of his best football in that epic game against the Patriots. He looked fantastic in that game. 
So that doesn't look to me like someone who's worn down or is not going to be able to shoulder this load that they're asking him to, to take. So I look at Forsett, Gore, Lamar Miller, Mark Ingram as a really excellent quartet of running backs you can get around the 2-3 turn. And it was, it's what makes me not afraid to start out a draft with Gronk or with Antonio Brown or Julio Jones or Des Bryant, whoever your favorite non-running back is in the first round, if you're taking them early. Now, if you're at the end of the first round, by the time you get to the 3-4 turn, then you're looking at more taking some chances on guys like Foster, Abdullah, which might work out, uh, Ellington. But early in the third round, love those running backs. Uh, and four sets part of that picture. So I don't like the analogy of the, the being something of a pacifist. You know, it's interesting. I'm a pacifist yeah. when it comes to when it comes to my own life. Love me some right. Tarantino movies. Uh, so let's not say gun to the head, but let's say you are poised to get a purple <laughs> nurple. Purple nurple. Sure. Coming any second, man. Are you taking four set PPR first round? Not in the first round. No, 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 no. There's like 13 or 14 clear first-round picks, and, and, and these, are the, these are the players that are really hard to put holes in. And, and then the Forsyth track record is a real hole. So, no, I'm not taking him in the first round. Um, basically, if in the first round, no matter how hell-bent I am getting a running back, uh, if, if uh, Bell, Peterson, Charles, Lynch, Lacey, and Anderson are gone, those six, well, then I'm going to get one out of Gronk, Brown, Jones, Bryant, Demarius Thomas, or Calvin Johnson, or Odell Beckham. There's your Baker's dozen because you're picking at the turn, 12, 13. I'm going to take two, or Andrew Luck, depending on your scoring system. Andrew Luck belongs in there as it's just a stone-cold stud lock. I, hard for me to make an argument against him. And as I said before, you know me. I'm down with ODB. I got him in the mm-hmm. second round, but I was hoping for a set would fall because I would have loved him there. Uh, let me ask you a question. I was uh, facing, I want to say it was in the third round, I was facing Gore versus Brandon Cooks. Ooh. I went with yeah. Who who would you, purple nurple? It's coming. Yeah, no, yeah, so yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Who are you gonna, you know who are you what's, what's interesting? Gore Cooks. Yeah, yeah. Interesting thing here is that um, the interesting thing here is that Cooks is moving way up my board. I, I'm I'm a believer uh, in, in in Breeze bouncing back in Cooks now, and Cooks might get 120 catches this year. Uh, so I can't tell you to not take Cooks over Gore. I have Gore ahead just because of the positional value and because I'm very, I have a very high level of confidence in Gore being good this year. But Cooks is going to be fantastic. Uh, it took me a little while. All offseason I wrestled with, you know, Saints offense is going to be more boring and so on and so forth. But then you look and you're like, yeah. And Breeze has given us a good story about the oblique injury and the knee injury, uh, why he didn't look like himself last year, and that was troubling. Never seen the Saints go into the Superdome look as bad as they did the end of the season. Uh, now we have a story. I'm willing to buy that story. So I could definitely see that uh, Cooks in the second or Cooks over Gore. I, I won't talk you out of that. See, I took him I took him in the third round. I already I had CJ Anderson as my first pick. I had ODB as my second. Uh, it, it was a struggle for me, but I like the wide receivers that you can get rounds four, five, six. I see a steeper cliff when it comes to uh, running backs, and I think although there are a lot of mouths to feed there in Indy, there's only really one main mouth. I mean, I know we got Josh Robinson, boom here, but there's one main mouth in the backfield, and I think he's going to get a ton of looks from Luck and a lot of the action. So I went with Gore. I'm sticking with it. I'm happy with it. I'm not having buyer's remorse. I was just uh, interesting. I think it's an interesting call between the Gore and, and the Cooks. 
Um, moving on, the uh, the other guy I seem to get some flack from in the industry and some from from my pyro brethren, uh, Vincent Jackson. I'm big on Vincent Jackson. Now, standard, he's inside my top 20. Even in PPR, uh, I would say he is a wide receiver number two. I think Winston is going to build a rapport with him. I've gone and I've said this numerous times, uh, but if you kind of throw out last season, he averages roughly eight touchdowns in the last six six uh, seasons. If you throw out the, the 2010 injury, he's had six straight seasons of 1,000 yards, um, six straight seasons of 100-plus targets. And I think Winston is going to look – he's already said it. You know, He's looking to a, a veteran. Um, now we've got a little bit of an Evans-Nick injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see Vincent Jackson being wide receiver number two at the end of the year? Inside, I think you're inside the some, top 24. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I just took him at my draft in the 5-6 turn. I like him. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is Winston is z- zeroed in on him early. As you said, Evans being a little banged up is only going to help there. Jackson's still a really good wide receiver. Uh, I do think yes. that Winston's going to improve the passing game, even though there'll be some moments that people will see that he'll make some throws he would like to have back. He'll be better than Glenn and, and McCown were. I'm worried about the offensive line. I am. Uh, you know, Donovan Smith is in a boot. So the offensive line is going to make it. There'll be some hairy days. Maybe not week one against Tennessee, though. Uh, there'll be some hairy days there. But getting Vincent Jackson in the sixth round, seventh round, I think is excellent. And, and look, the fourth, fifth, sixth round of drafts, we've been talking a lot about Odell Beckham and some guys taking early. Really rich. I, I brought up Landry and Brown. Really, really rich with wide receiver prospects. You could not take a wide receiver in the first three rounds and be just fine. Vincent Jackson's part of the reason. Yeah, Vince Jackson going uh, halfway through the sixth. And I really believe, even before the Evans news of him getting nicked up, I really believe he was a top 24 wide receiver. Uh, let's head up, um, and, as I said, bounce back here for Vincent Jackson, but let's head up north a little bit. Uh, in Cleveland, we don't have a running back by committee. we got running back by community. Uh, Duke Johnson. In uh, FCC, currently going ahead of Isaiah the Crow Crowell. Uh, is there something there with Duke Johnson, or is that just something to stay away from altogether? Well, again, this offensive line. I, I want to put a chip on this offensive line. With Mac because, back. Mac, Mac oh, is back. Yeah, the Mac is back. The return of the Mac, for those of you that know your black exploitation movies. Uh, no. I want to put a chip on this offensive line. However, they wanted West or Crowell to really seize control this summer. It didn't happen. Uh, I think Crowell, is, he's got the best raw talent as an inside runner, maybe not the desire to really take his game to that next level. West, I think, has been a problem child as it is, and I don't know if his style translated quite as well. Obviously, he's got some physical tools to work with. But Duke Johnson somewhere in between. And Duke Johnson... Um, Definitely the best receiving back. He might catch 60 or 70 passes if he can stay healthy as a receiving back out of the backfield. But uh, he's a better inside runner, or at least a more combative and, and courageous inside runner than he's been given credit for. So maybe he could hit, but this is one of those backfields where, again, whether it's Ray Rice and they're the only team that hasn't ruled out immediately. We're, no, we're not signing Ray Rice. Brown's like, yeah, you know, we're going to think about everything. So Ray Rice, who I think can still play, could end up there. So watch that or watch another veteran again, uh, someone potentially cut in their last round of cuts. But for now, I'll take Duke. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. 
the ninth or tenth round is about in your draft where you should have no emotional attachment to your players whatsoever. You take them, you see if they show out in the first week or two, and you move on if they don't. So you're not worried about, oh, what if I miss this pick? You're just worried about what would happen if I hit on this pick. That's why you like Duke Johnson there. If he, if he doesn't play for the first few weeks because he's still stuck in concussion protocol or if he's just purely a receiving back, then you move on. But if he he's the one guy out of the three there right now that could take over that backfield. I agree. And Patton gave some pretty uh, passive-aggressive statements when both West and Johnson were injured, talking about uh, the the running back needs to show he's going to be the running back, needs to step up, and clearly he was talking about the Crow. Uh, but, boy, concussions and uh, injuries concern me. So the Cleveland running back by community, as I like to say, is concerning. However, going down south to Nolens. Um, that, that one doesn't concern me as much. You know, if you look, I, I believe it's the last four years they've been uh, the highest attempts to running backs. And even if you go back, I believe it's the fifth year, they were like number two. So just in roughly the last five years, no one is throwing more passes to running backs than New Orleans. Uh, are you a Spiller believer? Have to qualify it. Um, I believe that Spiller has... The, has elusiveness and acceleration that few, if any, running backs in the league can match, that combination. He still has it. Uh, he needs to stay on the field to show it. And, and and the other thing that I believe in is that New Orleans will set him up for success. New Orleans will give him a role that is suited to his skills, unlike Bal- uh, Buffalo, uh, Nathaniel Hackett and Doug Marone, treated him like a kid that you're punishing for not taking out the garbage, or like you're going to sit at that table until you eat your greens. You know, you're going to keep running in between the tackles until you show us you can do it. It's just not Spiller's game. You know, I mean, I that's that's one argument I have with my daughter all the time. Right. She will not run between the tackles. Yeah, you got to just sometimes take that punishment again. <laughs> if you know, if it was blocked for one yard, get one yard. Don't bust it outside. Don't be like LeSean McCoy, like my colleague Matt Waldman would say, and take a walk to the corner store. Uh, so, you know, I believe in Spiller's talent. I believe in New Orleans setting him up for success. Uh, the worry is that he is a player that does not play well through injuries. He does not seem to be a fast healer, and it seems like once he gets nicked or dinged, we don't really see that 100% spiller again, or at least not for a while. And here's that knee surgery. Now, most of his problems in the past have been more ankle issues than knee issues, but we don't we haven't got that positive piece of news yet because it was supposed to be just a cleanup, and he was supposed to be ready for week one. By the way, ready for week one is the new the checks in the mail. You know, LaShawn McCoy, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, and so on, all these guys are supposed to be ready for week one. I'll, I'll right. believe it when I see it. Uh, right. So, you know, we look at spiller – there's one rumor that he's going to be out for weeks one and two, which already tells you that either they were lying about the time frame on the surgery, which our, our Dr. Gene Bramwell confirmed that like just for a minor cleanup, two to four weeks is realistic, and players do just come back from those minor cleanups and, and show no, no worse for the wear. And it makes sense. It's consistent with that kind of timeline. You can say it's a month until the season, something bothering you a little bit in your knee, let's go ahead and get it cleaned up now. But if it's taking him longer to recover, that's that warning sign. That being said, we've seen him be a top five fantasy running back in the past. In PPR leagues, maybe top five is a little bit out of reach. But if he's healthy and in this role that Darren Sproles – Darren Sproles was a near running back one in PPR leagues. 
can Spiller do? I mean, on a game-to-game basis. Maybe over the course of the year, injuries and things keep him from being that guy for the whole year. But just to have that chance to get that kind of impact from your fifth or sixth round pick, I'll take a chance. I think that between Abdullah, Foster, and Spiller, those are the running backs you want to look at in the fourth or fifth round this year. Uh, Even though they could blow up in your face, they offer the reward. A lot of the second... Uh, the two down running backs going in that range, guys like Gordon and Hyde and Morris and so on, I don't like those players. I, I, I don't see what the upside is. I don't see what's the story you're telling yourself. What, like San Diego's going to win 13 games? Okay, well, maybe Gordon can deliver on a third or fourth round pick if that happens. Uh, but we can already see Woodhead is going to be a big part of that offense. Likewise with Matt Jones in Washington. Likewise with Reggie Bush in San Francisco. And they're not going to be very good teams anyway. Latavius Murray, you know, a two down back on a team that's not going to be a good winning team is a difficult thing for me to stomach in the mid rounds. Especially in uh, daily leagues, you know, these oh, guys, yeah. uh, uh, Gordon and these guys that everyone is so high on when you've got somebody like uh, a Woodhead there and you've got some of these other pass-catching backs like Bush, and I'm not even uh, so sure that the San Francisco offensive line is going to be that solid. They're, they're looking to incorporate a little bit more zone blocking, and I think we're going to see more Bush, uh, more Woodhead than you would think. And daily, I think that's pretty detrimental. Yeah, I, just, I think um, DraftKings prices are ridiculous for Woodhead, like 4000 or something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And Woodhead's already getting more snaps than Gordon. The offense is better when he's on the field. And here's another thing for week one if we're jumping to daily. They're playing Detroit. You don't try to run on Detroit. You throw 50 times on Detroit. That's how you play Detroit. Right. So Absolutely. Woodhead is mm, mwah, uh, a pit play, even ahead of Abdullah, honestly, in that same game. I would play Woodhead. Yeah, that's why I picked him up late round, even though it was a half-point PPR. i got to remind people, two years ago, he was in, in full-point PPR. He was an RB number one. He was a, a 12th running back in, in fantasy. Uh, I think people have those short-term memories, and Woodhead, he's a monster. Look up some of his college stats, even though it wasn't D1. He Insane college stats. Um and bringing me back to New Orleans, again, I fear the running back by community in Cleveland. I uh, welcome it a little bit more in New Orleans just because of the, the past that they've gone to the running back passing it out of the backfield so often. And I tell you, with injury-prone history of Spiller and Ingram, a guy like Kiri Robinson going at the end of the 13th round, is pretty appealing to me. What do you think? Yes, and um, actually, I was really bummed because the one running back I got early, I only took one running back in those first eight picks tonight, and it was Ingram, and I wanted to get Kyrie Robinson around the 12th, I think 11-12 turn, I was going to take him, and he went before that. Because he's going to probably play early, even if Spiller plays week one, he's going to have a role. We know Kyrie Robinson can play. Uh, there's also injury upside if Ingram goes down, Ingram or Spiller misses time. That puts Robinson at least into the flex zone. Uh, And and then the way that New Orleans feeds the running backs, they love to throw to the running backs, and Robinson is at least a functional receiver. He's as functional as Ingram is, and Ingram's getting a lot more work as a receiver out of the backfield. And they love to feed the running backs in the red zone inside the five. Kyrie Robinson absolutely is – he is your top priority handcuff, unless we're considering Ryan Matthews a handcuff, then Ryan Matthews is the most valuable handcuff. But Ryan Matthews might have some standalone value because of how good the 
Philly running game is and how good he is. Uh, but as far as handcuffs go, Kyrie Robinson is number one ahead of Niall Davis, ahead of uh, you know uh, other guys you might think of, Trey Mason. You know, I, I would take Robinson ahead of those guys. You know, I've heard some interesting things with uh, some interesting theories on handcuffs lately. And I used to be of the mind that Niall Davis was perhaps the number one because even with um, the, the running back there with Jamal there, he's still going to hold value. Jamal goes out, then he's going to be phenomenal. But I've sort of changed my thinking these days as to what a good handcuff is because if you're going to go with um, the the Kansas City, if you're going to handcuff Jamal Charles, right? Uh, you got to spend an early pick to get him. You you got to go, I don't know, nine or ten or something like that. I think the valuable handcuffs are a guy like Cap Cameron Artist Payne that you can get at the end of your draft that you're not spending a high pick on because think of the guys that you can get in the ninth or the tenth round, and then I've got a very high chance that uh, Jay Stu is going to be sidelined at some point and I've got someone who's taken the handoffs especially when they've just lost their number one wide receiver so I've really rethought my handcuff philosophy this year um what do you think about handcuffs are you a handcuff guy and explain it to my audience a little bit Uh, why is why is a guy uh like Niall Davis not your number one Sure. Well, I mean, I'm explaining why I like Kyrie Robinson. You know you're going to get something right out of the gate. I mean, D'Angelo Williams is another one I would take ahead of Niall Davis just because you're going to get two flex starts for free right out of the gate. You know, if I told you Jamal Charles is going to miss two games this year, how far would you move Niall Davis up your board? Uh, you'd move him up. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to get two. Because Niall Davis, if Charles is out, we're going to put Davis in our top 18, top 15 running backs that week. For sure. Um, so uh, on handcuffs, I think there's one scenario where I understand – being faithful to handcuffs. And that's in a league with a very long bench or a very deep league, like a 16-team league, where there's just nothing on the waiver wire. And then if your coveted first few pick running backs go down, you're in trouble. Now, there might not be a handcuff. So this is how I rate handcuffs. I'm looking at four factors. First and foremost, the talent of the player. Do we know he can play? You know, if we consider Zach Zenner a handcuff for Joyke Bell, well, we know he can play. Kyrie Robinson, we know he can play. James Starks. Niall Davis actually I think is overrated as a player, but he's still he's still functional. You know, we know D'Angelo Williams can still play. Um, we want to look at the clarity of the backup, and again, all of these guys I'm naming, what what do they have in common? You know, there's not it's not like D'Angelo Williams will split with or Niall Davis will split with. No, James Starks will split with. These are the backups, and they're three down running backs. Uh, that's important. The clarity of who the backup is, and I'm not sure. Speaking of cameras, art and paint, artist paint. Um, Fozzie Whitaker's still there. There's this running back, Brandon, uh, and I might not pronounce his name right, Weger, Weger, W-E-G-H-E-R. Um, he, he's kind of one of those guys, like a hard luck case, a uh, guy who's gotten in some trouble off the field but getting a chance now. But a, a, ta- a, a prospect that has been under the radar because he, of off-field issues. So I don't know that it's strictly, there's a strict backup, the way that Stewart and plus Mike Tolbert's still there, plus Cam Newton, vultures touchdowns at the goal line. Um Jordan Todman. Right. So, I mean, I I think what we saw, remember what happened last year when they didn't have anybody? I mean, we saw Darren Reeves one week. You know, I mean, they just, they were just throwing stuff against the wall to see what would stick. Um, But but I'm just using that example as not every backup. Seattle's another one where we don't know, especially if you add Fred Jackson to the mix. You know, Lynch goes down. Who's the backup? So you want to know that. Um, You also want to know how good is the situation? That's why we like Kyrie Robinson. That's why we like Niall Davis. That's why we like D'Angelo Williams. That's why we like James Starks. 
These are all players that would inherit really nice fantasy situations if they're the starter. Uh, and then how likely is it from what we can tell that the, that they'll get a chance, you know, that the starter would go down. Um, and and in, in this case, again, that's where Kyrie Robinson wins that number one spot because Spiller's already banged up and Ingram hasn't been able to stay healthy over his career for any long stretch of time. So th- those are the factors you're looking at. And I think taking backup running backs is great. I just don't think you have to take the ones that are the backups to your picks. And I also, right. I, I also think this. If you are doing that, and again, I, I recommend it in leagues where you're not going to have waiver wire flexibility. But if it's a typical league, you will. And if you're taking the handcuff, like you said, you're going to spend like a 10th, 11th, 12th round pick. Not really a premium pick, but one of your premium bench picks on a handcuff. You're limiting the upside of your draft, of your roster, right? Because if you need your handcuff, that means something went awry with one of your early picks. And if you don't right. need and your handcuff, you, go ahead. It, well, right, and then you're talking about one position. So, for example, you know, Jonathan Stewart goes down. You you spend a, a handcuff on um, Cameron Artis Payne. You're talking about one position. However, if you throw a, a flyer out there on uh, the, the, the Davis from San Francisco, and even right. if you don't have Carlos Hyde, and Carlos Hyde goes down, now all of a sudden right. you've got an extra option. Right. Exactly. You've got an extra guy. You're, you're not um, tied into one injury position. You're still talking about one starter for one team. Now all of a sudden, if you're taking, you know, in other words, someone else's handcuff, now if that opportunity presents itself, You've got right. some trade bait. You've got yes. some waiver wire. You've got some flexibility you there. You got it. So you're putting upside in your roster because, like, let's take the best. Of, why not aim for the best of both worlds? You know, your starter stays healthy and you hit on that handcuff. And then, like you said, you've got an extra uh, hand on deck. You've got trade bait and so on. So I think that you you want to think big. I'm a I'm not a try to make the playoffs guy. I'm not a, you know, do the best you can, play the percentages, try to get the playoffs, and hope you win the title. I'm trying to build a juggernaut. I'm trying to build Damn a right. team. I'm trying to build a team that makes it not fun for everybody else in the league to play against. Yeah. And taking a handcuff is is a safe route, but it's not a way to build a juggernaut. Well, and taking another handcuff, one, you're not tied into one position on one team. You get some trade bait, you get some flexibility, but it's a bit Machiavellian, right? Now you're right. taking away somebody else who, if their number one running back goes down, now they're a little bit yeah. short, and you are opening up your options, and theirs are becoming smaller. And, and on that Machiavellian tip uh, with D'Angelo Williams, and again, why I'm prioritizing D'Angelo Williams, first of all, you get two flex starts for free. I mean, not for free, for your 12th round pick or whatever it costs. And those defenses, New England and San Francisco in the first two weeks, are pretty weak defenses. And it's a, it's a potent offense. Yeah. Even without Marquise Pouncey, it's still one of the better offensive lines the Steelers have had in a while. Mike Munchak is going to get them ready to go. They have a great offensive line coach. Even without Puncey, Pouncey, they're still going to be okay. But then what's great is how I envision it happening is D'Angelo Williams gives you nice starts, you know, 80, 90, 100 total yards, maybe a touchdown, two, three catches, 18 carries. Solid numbers, maybe even better than that, honestly because of the potency of this offense, and you have that Le'Veon Bell owner who sees how viable the backup is. So you get your two starts out of D'Angelo, you flip D'Angelo to the Le'Veon Bell owner in a two-for-one trade to upgrade your lineup somewhere. So you win-win. You, you bank some points from D'Angelo, and then when he's just a handcuffer, you're waiting around to see if Bell gets hurt. 
cash him in, open, do a two-for-one trade, open up a roster spot, grab another backup running back, and start the whole dance over again. Yeah, and D'Angelo, uh, he's going at the tail end of the 11th yeah. round, right at, right after Bush and uh, Niall Davis, uh, shortly after Hillman as well. Hey, you know, I, I, I got to give you some props and thanks. I know you're doing this as a favor to me. You're doing it while you're doing your draft for your company. I got to ask, how's the draft going for yeah, you right over. now? Tell our, yeah, I'll uh, write how Jen, give me the rundown. Yeah. How'd you end up? I mean, we're, we, we go really fast. Okay. I, I it's a, it's a high performance league. Uh, and what that means is there's bonuses for long touchdowns. There's bonuses for hundred yard games, 300 yard passing games. It's a five point per pass touchdown league. So, you, so the studs, you get in some big games, big, big point games. Um, to give you an example, like Andrew Luck was, a, without week 16, he was a 35 points per game player in the system, the highest scorer in the system. I drew the 12 hole. I was hoping for a Gronk-Luck start. Uh, I mean, that was like my dream, is to start with Gronk and Luck in this, in this high-performance league. Um, let me stop Let me stop right there. You've done a lot of mocks. Are you ha- your ha- So this was your plan going into it you like a well, team do, uh, doing the Paul Chargian and do the opposite you like a team sure. where you're going Gronk first well and remember that this system emphasizes studs it emphasizes players that break away from the pack at their position and it makes the gap even bigger because you're getting points for long touchdowns points for big games on top we always we always say know your league yeah know your scoring in lineups seriously it's the biggest i mean it's the easiest way to get an edge is just actually understand and grasp the implications of that um i would have gone gronk luck if if they both fell only luck fell and the thing is in expert leagues i'm sure you're used to this we let quarterbacks go so long. It's almost, it almost makes our work useless for people at the draft in quote-unquote real leagues because in real leagues, right. everyone has a starter by the fourth or fifth round. They start taking backups in the seventh or eighth round. You know, we're, we're still taking Phillip Rivers like in the 11th or 12th round. That's unrealistic. Um, but I counted on this league of staffers, my fellow staffers, being conservative at quarterback. So I passed on luck. I went with the wide receiver, wide receiver start. And, you know, there's six running backs in the first seven picks. Beckham and Calvin Johnson, you know, uh, I knew what I was getting into plan a at the three, four turn at that point, And I anticipated wide receiver, wide receiver was like my fallback for Gronk luck. So I was thinking it through. I was poised to take Amir Abdullah and Arian Foster. That was my plan a, cause I needed running backs. Uh, both have risks, both have rewards. I was ready to take that, roll that dice there, roll the dice there. Uh, and they both went before my pick. Um, and our, Resident doctor, Gene Bramwell, took Foster at 3-6, and Abula went one pick before I pick. Mark Ingram slipped through, so I got Ingram, and then I took Travis Kelsey. Love Kelsey. Well, that, that's good news that the doctor is yes. taking uh, Aaron Foster you, folks. In, yeah. in the third. I mean, we'll see, but everything we're hearing is positive there. Um, and I love Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey, if there's a guy that's going to come close to Gronk at this year, it's not Graham. It's Kelsey. 5-6 uh, turn. 5-6 turn. Yeah, I was hoping... For uh, I was going to go wide receiver, wide receiver again. I should also mention this is a double flex league, so you can start up to five wide receivers, PPR. So I'm going to start five wide receivers. Um, I took Mike Wallace and Vincent Jackson. Again, long touchdown bonuses. I think we saw Mike Wallace separate a little bit from Charles Johnson in that last preseason game. I think that he and Teddy have something good going. We talked about Vincent Jackson. 7-8 turn. Really wanted to get Woodhead. Woodhead was my ace in the hole here. 
And in hindsight, maybe I should have taken Woodhead at the 5-6 turn instead of getting greedy at wide receiver. But I thought there was a real chance Woodhead would fall to the 7-8 turn. He fell to 7-7. I missed out on him there. Um, there wasn't really anybody else I had lined up at that point. I'm willing to go with my fifth receiver here, so I took Stevie Johnson. Again, talking about the San Diego offense and how we, I think, the, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have it misgaged. I think that Johnson's highly valuable. And I took Drew Brees. Um, I'm, I mean, in this performance scoring system, Drew Brees is fantastic. Uh, and then at that point, okay, I've got my quarterback, I've got my five wide receivers, I've got my tight end, and I only have Mark Ingram. So now we're throwing darts. And I only need one of these darts to hit. That's just one, because i got my core built otherwise. 9-10 turn Duke Johnson and Ryan Matthews. 11-12 turn David Johnson and Tevin Coleman. 13-14 turn, I took Carlos Williams. And then Julius Thomas. It was just getting kind of ridiculous that Julius Thomas had fallen so far. Mainly because I'm going back to the stuff where Julius Thomas, early in camp, the Jacksonville folks were saying he's the number one option in the pass offense. Uh, and he has the kind of injury, uh, a, bro- a broken bone in his hand, that isn't like a, a, a muscle strain or something where he could come back and aggravate it and make it worse. Like his ankle injuries cost him a lot of his career. It's not quite the same. If it was an ankle injury, I wouldn't be excited to take Julius Thomas. Not really excited to take players who are hurt already, as we've talked about. Julius right. Thomas, maybe a bit of an exception, at least at the 156th pick. Um, and Carlos Williams, I'm just not a McCoy believer. Got my man Zach Zenner and Dante Moncrief at the next turn. And look, any piece of that indie pass offense, I'm happy to stash away and see what happens. You know, T.Y. Hilton has a concussion right now. Um, gets another concussion in week one or week two. You know, perish the thought, knock on wood. I don't want it to happen. You push a Philip Dorsett, and Dorsett had gone already. Or Moncrief in, into a regular role in three wide sets. Now you got something going. Uh, 17-18 next week, Damian Williams, just a classic handcuff. And Damian Williams is one of the clear handcuffs in the league right now to Lamar Miller, and in a good offense, a uh, good receiver out of the backfield. And then Greg Jennings, who I think is being vastly underestimated in Miami. He's a perfect fit for the kind of offense they have, and he and Tannehill have good chemistry. My, uh, I didn't know if you want me to go into this detail, but I, sorry, once I get rolling, no. you can't stop me. Cleveland Browns defense, um, and, I, and for those of you that are familiar with streaming defenses, that's what I like to do. I like to swap out defenses every week depending on matchups. You might not need to do that with Cleveland because they wake, open up week one against the Jets, Fitzpatrick. Week two, Tennessee, Good welcome to the NFL, Marcus Mariota. Week three, Oakland, and we'll see how Derek Carr is, but also a road game. Oakland traveling east. Oakland in the east, eastern time zone, always a good one to fade. So and Cleveland has a good defense, too. So uh, I, I like Cleveland. Uh, I mean, my ideal defense to start out with is Miami or maybe Indy. Um, I like those. an Indy. Uh, yeah. I like the lead, the uh, division they play oh, in. I like yeah. me an Indy, and you can, you can get them late. You can't, and, and the idea there is that Luck stakes them to leads. They don't have a really good defense, but if Luck stakes them to leads, in the first five games of the year, they play Buffalo, Jets, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Houston, like five of the eight worst quarterbacks in the league right there. If those quarterbacks have to pass to catch up, here come the sacks. Here come the interceptions. Yep, turnover city. Trying to keep up with luck. You got it. I love it, man. I love it. That was a great rundown. Um, I think it's fantastic. How many um, insiders is this? Is this all guys within fantasy? Or, I'm sorry, it's all, all guys, guys within we football have five, guys? We have, I think, five 12, uh, 12-team leagues in our staff. And we're trying to set up something like, you know, English Premiership, like a relegation. Like, you know, you move up and down the chain. Depending on if you win or lose, you get knocked down a level or you move right. up a level. 
So we're trying to get that going, but our staff keeps growing, so we have to add a new one every year. But it, it's fun, and it is we take it seriously. I mean, as much as seriously as you take fantasy football. The the staff leagues are a big, big point of pride. I still rub it in. My co-host, Cecil Lammy, dropped Jamal Charles after week one in 2010, swooped him, picked him up, helped me win a title. And that was a league, by the way, I think I shanked my first and second and fourth round pick that year. Just blew the picks and still won the league. So it's really important if your draft doesn't go well to not give up because you can still win your league. Well, right. It's a uh, what a, f- a four-legged table, yes. right? You, you certainly can't win it just in the draft alone. You've got waiver wires, you've got trades, and then you've got setting your lineup. So, folks, don't give don't give up hard if you you didn't do so well. You've still got seventy five percent of the fantasy football world out there to go it's how you set your lineups what drafts your or uh trades you're making uh waiver wire pickups there's a, a lot of road to hoe one thing i like what you said when you're drafting with so-called uh experts quarterbacks wait a really long time so a lot of times if you're looking up the adp it's going to be skewed depending on who you're drafting with so-called experts they're going to uh, do the late round you know uh, um, late round theory J.J. Zacharyson, um, if you're drafting with normal folk, they go way earlier. So one thing I like to do is go back and check my drafts from last year. And I actually put down who took you know, two tight ends, who took two quarterbacks, who took two defenses, uh, when they started going. You can do a little bit of data research yeah. just by looking back one year or two years, especially if you've been playing with the same guys Know your league. So not only when we say that, know your points, your scoring system, but know the draft tendencies of the guys you're playing with. Because a lot of times quarterbacks are going to go really fast unless you're playing in, you know, a, a quote-unquote expert league. Hey, man, my last question for you. Uh, I asked the same thing to Mr. Waldman. There's a classic song uh, originally written by Amos Milburn, but immortalized by Mr. John Lee Hooker. One bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. Along those same lines, can you give me one breakout, one sleeper, and one bust? Yes, uh, breakout. I mean, I've touched on some of these players. Breakout, John Brown. Just trust me. And Jarvis Landry kind of already broke out in the second half of the year, last year. Um, sleeper, Zach Center we've talked about. Um, Jonas Gray is another good sleeper. Um, you know, we're going to go really deep, like not even guys you draft. Again, just watch out for Darren Waller because of Brashad Perryman's injury in in Baltimore. Waller, he's big and fast and can run those nine routes, and Joe Flacco can throw it up. So Flacco's an early season success. Maybe Waller is part of that. And one, it's the bust is LaShawn McCoy. I mean, just there's so many things pointing in the wrong direction for McCoy. I'm sorry. And when the only argument people can give me in return, but he's going to get 300 carries. You know what? He got 300 carries last year. Were you happy to own him last year? Here's what I'll say. Anybody who owned LaShawn McCoy last year is not buying him this year. I guarantee you that. And I would guess if you draft McCoy this year, this is another one of those guys coming into the season hurt. If you draft him this year, you're probably not drafting him next year. Jonas Gray, the second half of the draft running backs. Yeah. Uh, just to let folks know, I'm sure they've heard this, but uh, Deep Sleeper, I'm liking me some Davis because I kind of think Hyde might be a bit sure. of a bust. Everything with, I'm hearing about uh, Mike Davis San Francisco. is... Uh, Davis was a player, a draft prospect that in 2013, he looked kind of like a second-round pick. I mean, and that's basically a first-round pick in running back terms in the NFL. Uh, and then in 2014, looked like he lost a step, maybe wasn't quite in his best shape. Uh, you weren't sure which guy you were getting. I, everything I'm hearing and seeing 
is that they're getting the 2013 Davis, the good Davis, who, as you said, is not really far off of Carlos Hyde at all. No, and uh, I did a comparison between Hyde, who had just about as many carries as Latavius Murray last year, and Murray just blew him out of the water when you look at the two. But also the fact that, one, San Francisco lost everybody and their sister on defense, so I think they're going to be in some battles. They're going to be playing from behind, having to pass often. Also, they're incorporating a lot more zone blocking and offensive line to really get that down. It's going to take six, seven, eight games. So I think that could frustrate uh, and confound Hyde a bit and open the door just enough for Davis second half of the season. Sigmund, it has been a giant pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. You have always been a friend to me, and you've always helped me out, and I really just can't thank you enough, and my listeners have learned a mountain of information, and I thank you for uh, being on a fantasy football talk with me yet again. Yeah, I love talking football with people who love to talk football, like you, and uh, and it's what makes this whole industry go around. You know, we should always uh, give the honor back to the game, to the people who lay it all on the line to make it so fascinating. And I'm just glad we've got a good seat uh, and good people to talk to. So I'd love to come back anytime. You are always welcome. Once again, folks, this was Sigmund Bloom, co-owner of FootballGuys.com. He's one of the regular voices on the Audible podcast. He uh, co-hosts that with Cecil Lammy, Gene Bramble is on there, Matt Waldman, a lot of big names in the industry. You can hear him on the Audible Live, and uh, certainly you can hear Sigmund on On the Couch. Once again, S-I-G-M-U-N-D-B-L-O-O-M. That's on Twitter. My name is Pyromaniac Mo. As always, you can hear me doing fantasy football talks. I am regularly doing the light podcast with stags which comes out every friday or saturday and then you got the regular pyro boys doing it roughly tuesday wednesday during the season and we look forward to seeing you again thanks a lot folks we will catch you on the flip side